Our scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. In the uh, Bible in the pew, it's page 1225. If you have a large print, it's uh, page 1818 and 1819. And if you're welcome to use your mobile device, iPad, or phone to find that. And again, for our guest, uh, we're glad to have you this morning. If you would, we've got a connect card in the pew. If you would fill those out, you can leave those on the pew or put those in the offering and when it comes through. Again, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. As for you, were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we by nature object of wrath, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that we, in becoming ages, He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to, good, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're in a new series. Uh, it's just going to be a short one. The last one we were in was really long. Uh, we just got finished looking at the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus over the course, of, well, from Christmas through Easter. And uh, so that was really rich for us. We ended last week talking about the Holy Spirit and kind of the next chapter. You know, what happens after the gospel? Well, Jesus ascends and he sends the Holy Spirit um, and the church is launched, and here we are 2,000 years later because of that. And, and His Holy Spirit is still at work in our world and in our lives today. This is something that we believe, that Jesus is not dead. He's alive, and His Spirit is at work in us. And uh, so out of that comes this series, uh, Ordinary People Pursuing One Extraordinary Way. And everyone knows that when Jesus was resurrected, He left for His disciples a mission. And we're very familiar with that mission, right? Go, therefore, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've, I've commanded you. And so we have this entrenched in our, especially our evangelical culture, right? That, I mean, that's what evangelical means, that we are taking the gospel 
and, and we are, you know, we're big on missions around here. We we send we, a lot of our dollars were generously given to uh, to go to missional projects here nearby and all around the world. And so we believe that part of our job as Christians, when we sign up to follow Jesus, is we sign up for His mission to go and make disciples. And sometimes the church gets really fixed on that. And I think they forget sometimes, we forget sometimes, that Jesus also left, has had a vision for us. Not just a mission for what we would do, but a vision for who we would be. What we would look like. Who we would become. Right? It's, I think it's kind of funny when sometimes we make Christianity as though it's, you know, well, come get saved and then come go on mission with us, you know, to save some more people. And it's kind of like, well, what are we saved for? <laughs> like, we leave that part out. Like, why would they want to sign up? You know, just we, we go out and we announce that Jesus died for them and they can be saved. But saved from what? And saved for what? What are we here for? What are we supposed to be doing? And, and Jesus didn't just give us a mission, something to go and do. He had a vision for what the church would look like, for what the church would be, for what our lives would look like, and who we would be. And, and so this is a series about vision. It's just going to take three weeks. We're going to talk about ordinary people. We're going to talk about pursuing one. And we're going to talk about the extraordinary way. And so we'll do that over the next three weeks, starting today. And so today we get to tackle ordinary people. And I'm sure you're so glad that you showed up today to hear how ordinary you are. But before we get into that, I actually have some extraordinary things. Really, I think you are an extraordinary congregation. And I thought that, well, I would just, you know how Oprah gave away cars that one time? to everyone in the audience. Well, I can't give something to everyone here today, but we can give a few extraordinary things today for those of you who made it out on this cold spring morning. Uh, just really remarkable items here. Hopefully I don't feedback. I'm going to wander around. Sorry, people. I'm going to wander around. That's our online people. Uh, no, that's not for you. Joe... You're kind of a crier, so here's some Kleenexes. Some Kleenexes for you. Isn't that extraordinary? I think uh, Bob and Helen have a Keurig at their house. So here is a K-cup. You can make one cup of coffee with that. Impressive, I know. Dale, he takes minutes in our missions committee. This is a notepad that says, while you were out... And it's got all kinds of things and boxes you can check on there, like urgent. If it's urgent, it's impressive. It's impressive. Ginger, I have a peppermint for you. <laughs> Nick and Kristen, y'all can share this. This is raisins. Uh, but it says they expired in November, but I mean... You know what, I mean... Does a raisin ever really expire? And uh, here you go. Uh, let's see here. Trey. Mid-America Christian University pen. Right there. They don't make many of those. <laughs> Probably the most impressive thing in the whole lot is this bag that it came in. So Kelly will yes. give you that. You can put just about anything in that thing and carry it around. I mean, those are some extraordinary gifts. Yet, yeah, to the rest of you, 
Uh, you're extraordinary too. <laughs> you're just as deserving of those gifts. Even our folks listening online, you are also deserving of In fact, it, for a, just a small donation, we can send you one of these extraordinary items <laughs> as well, just for, to cover the shipping. You know, in our world, we are dealt a, a different gospel than the one we read in Scripture. And, and that gospel tells us that each of us is extraordinary just the way we are. And, and a, there's a sense in which that's true. Uh, but there's a sense in which that's a lie as well. We all like to be told that, that we're extraordinary and, and that we're not ordinary. And there is this sense that when you look at all creation, God says that humanity, people, they were extraordinary amongst all of creation. But what God didn't do is go around saying, this one's extra extraordinary. And that one, they're extra extraordinary. But that one over there is a little less extraordinary. But see, that's the problem with, the, with what we like to buy into and we don't need society to tell us we're all born this way. We, we want to believe that we're a little more extraordinary. Right? It's not enough that we as humanity are extraordinary. We like to feel comparatively extraordinary. Now there is a sense in which we're unique, right? Each of us is a little bit different. You have certain strengths and I have certain strengths. And you have certain weaknesses, and I have certain weaknesses. And so in that sense, we're each a little different. But the gospel says over and over again that we, we're all ordinary, and we are all equal in the body of Christ. Right? There's no more hierarchy. If you're rich and powerful, then you're better. Or uh, if you're a man, you're better. Or if you're this race, you're better. Or if you're from this place, you're better. Or if you have a religious training background, you're better. None of that matters in the kingdom. So that in a very real sense, we are ordinary people. And the problem is that in a lot of our churches, in a lot of Christianity, uh, just like in a lot of different religions around the world, it's very easy for us to believe that we are extraordinary. And to kind of get one of those superiority complexes, to feel self-righteous or a little better than. And that couldn't be more contrary to the gospel of Jesus. We saw that, right? As we looked at the life of Jesus, that couldn't be further from the truth of Him who was actually extraordinary. If there's one person that has a claim to being extraordinary, it's him. And we'll talk a little bit more about why that is. But today, I'm here to tell you that you're ordinary in the best possible way. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. In fact, this phrase uh, that I've, I'm using to kind of describe Jesus' vision for our church for the church, for your life, ordinary people pursuing one extraordinary way, is kind of a model for what the apostles would teach the church over and over again. We have a lot of letters in our New Testament written from apostles to churches. The one we read today was written to the church in Ephesus. And we've studied that letter and that church quite a bit here, actually. We've done two series, one called 
people of the way that looked at the church in Ephesus, those people, because we know a lot about them uh, comparatively. And also we did one called Walking in the Way that looked at this letter of Ephesians and, and what it means to walk the Jesus way. And so if we're doing a series, Ordinary People Pursuing One Extraordinary Way, I mean, we have to come back to Ephesians, right? Because we spent so much time there talking about the way of Jesus. But really, all of the letters, Philippians, Colossians, Galatians, Romans, even letters from the Apostle Peter and the Apostle John, they follow this pattern. They remind us of who we were and who we are, that we are not responsible for anything good in our lives. We are, in that sense, ordinary. But that we are to pursue an extraordinary way. And that doesn't make us superior than, or better than, or a higher priority than. It makes Jesus superior. It makes Him the subject. It says that He lived the life that none of us could live, and now we pursue that way of life by His help and by His grace. And so it's important that if we're ever going to chase this vision that Jesus had for the church, I believe we have to begin by humbling ourselves. I think it's the starting place, and without taking that first step, I'm not sure you can ever pursue this extraordinary way. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to these Christians in the very first century in a newly planted church. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us. That's you, friend, and that's me. Also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, by nature, deserving of death. And here, the Apostle Paul begins by reminding us, as he says in other places, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us have claim to a perfect past, to perfect motives, to a perfect heart or attitude. Not one. But we all, like the rest of the world, have rebelled against God. I was talking to a pastor friend this week about this word sin. And how hung up we get on it sometimes in our culture and how, com how much confusion there is around it. And sometimes, you know, the church has treated it like um, so that sin is simply rule-breaking that sends you to hell. And that has led our society to a lot of confusion about it. And so then they get really worked up uh, whenever anyone that's Christian, right, says anything about sin... If you say anything about, well, that's a sin, or this is a sin, oh, well, you're, you know, it's hate speech or whatever now, you know, because you're basically wanting to condemn people to hell. And it misses the, the vision of, and the, actually, what the word means. The, the word sin meant to miss the mark. What mark? The mark of what it means to be truly human. 
to live a truly human life the way God designed it to be lived. That's what we believe as Christians, that God created us for a purpose, to live a certain way. He designed us for that way. And that's where this series is headed, to talk about this extraordinary way that He created for us. Sin is anything that doesn't point you towards that life that God designed you for. Any thought, any attitude, any behavior that does not meet that design, that original intent for what it means to be human, anything less than that, anything other than that, misses the mark and is subhuman. It's not the life you were meant for, not the life you were made for. That's what we believe. And some people will undoubtedly find that offensive. But it's what we believe. And we believe that we see evidence of it all around us. And even in our own lives. When we fail to live the way God calls us to live and reap the consequences for it. Scripture is plain. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all missed that mark. And so, in that sense, we should find a lot of commonality with one another. We are all ordinary in that way. He goes on. He says, because of His great love for us, because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Even, even when we were in the wrong. Even when we were headed off in the wrong directions. He took action. He says, it's by grace you have been saved. That word grace being unmerited favor, right? That, that God did this for you and for me. He acted before we acted. He loved us first. He took action first. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He could show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What a reminder that it's not about us. Right? What a reminder that it's about God and His grace. That, that we have all, we're all in the same boat. Right? We all missed the mark. But God, He didn't just leave us in that condition. But in His grace, even though there was nothing to compel Him to do so, He took action on our behalf. Sacrificial action. Gracious, undeserved, merciful action to rescue us from our condition. He goes on to specify that it's by grace that you've been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. Even our faith is not something we should be proud of and boast in. It is the gift of God. And not by works so that no one can boast. The condition that we all were in is the condition we were stuck in if not for the grace of God. 
There is not one of us that could work our way out of that. That could climb up the moral rungs and do you know, enough penance for what we had done in the past or earn our way to some sort of salvation or right relationship with God. There was nothing that we could do. We were all in that boat together, lost and in need of a Savior. And God chose to save us by His grace. Not by following a 12-step program, but just by grace. And that way, because of that, none of us can boast and say, hey, I did it. Look at that. I followed all 12 steps and now I'm good. Good luck to the rest of you. <laughs> you know, just, just look at me and follow the steps I followed and maybe you can get it together too. <laughs> There's none of that in the body of Christ. Because we have been saved by grace through faith. And even that faith, we thank God for it. Hmm. What I want to drive home today is that if we buy into the vision that God has for us as an ordinary people pursuing one extraordinary way, one of the first things we'll have to own is that it's not about us. We're gonna, we have to get out of an inward focus or any kind of prideful focus in our personal lives and as a church. We cannot be a people who thinks ourselves better than others, that thinks ourselves better than sinners, that thinks ourselves you know, better than this group or that group, that we're better than those rich snobby people or that we're better than those poor riffraff, that we're better than that race or that culture over there or that part of town or, you know, across the Washita <laughs> or whatever the case may be. We, we can't live with a mindset that says we're better than because it's not about us. We were all in the same boat. If not for the grace of God, we'd still be there. Not one of us can boast about any good thing that we've experienced or any blessing that we've received. And the reason that we exist and function as a church is not for our enjoyment or to pat ourselves on the back or to pursue this extraordinary way for our own glory, even. It's not about us. In fact, we're not even really second. Let's rank just for a minute. <laughs> Let's put Jesus, to the glory of God the Father, at the top of this deal. He is truly extraordinary. It's His way that we pursue. Then second, let's put everyone who doesn't know Him yet, for whom the shepherd is willing to leave the 99 and go in pursuit of that one. Every parent knows how that works. If you, uh, I mean, let's just take an extreme example. Chances are you've known about a family that got touched by childhood cancer. It's one of the things we hate the most. 
When that happens, if a parent has multiple children, which child takes sudden priority? Does that mean that they love the other children less? No. But in that moment, for that season, it's first and foremost about getting that child back to health. And rightly so. And similarly, in the church, it's not about us. It's about God's children that are in a bad way. And oftentimes they don't even know what's going on. So then maybe we could say, thirdly, it's about us. <laughs> and maybe fourthly, it's about me as your pastor, because the pastor's job is to serve the church and try and equip you to do ministry. Good luck, you're stuck with me. <laughs> but, but that's my job description in Scripture, is to equip you to do ministry. You know, a lot of times the church sets the pastor on a pedestal and says, you know, this is our super Christian, and we're going to pay him to do awesome ministry that we peons cannot achieve, you know, or attain to. And that's not the design in Scripture. I view myself more kind of at the bottom rung, and I'm trying to serve up to you, and I'm trying to equip you to do ministry, because on tomorrow morning... I'm going to be back here at the office working on messages and I'm going to be working on how I can equip you and I'm going to be working on ideas and praying for you and I'm going to be doing all that stuff and you're going to be going to your job or you're going to be going out into the crossroads that you travel each day and you're going to be rubbing shoulders with people who are far from God and you'll have an opportunity to minister in their lives. Yes, I do ministry as well. But what you do is so important. Sorry, I think I'm getting off on another sermon. So I rank you third and me fourth. <laughs> All right? We are ordinary people pursuing one extraordinary way. I want to ask you a couple questions. Does anyone here need to own today who they were? Sometimes we forget who we were if not for the grace of God. And I bring this up from time to time not because I want you to wallow in it or stay there or just walk around with guilt on your shoulders but because it's important to remember it's humbling to remember. And sometimes we need that dose of reality, especially after it's been a while. You know, when you've been living this Christian life a while, and the past becomes a distant memory, do you today need to remember who you were without the grace of God? Or maybe I'll say it this way for some of us, who you would be if not for the grace of God. Many of us, uh, even people not necessarily raised by Christian parents, we were raised in a culture 
of Christian morals and values that we would not have had if not for the faith of those who have gone before us. But I also believe that every single one of us, if we take even a moment to be quiet and to reflect and to take inventory, we have a pretty good idea of what kind of person we would be if not for the grace of God. Who we would be if Jesus had never come, if he had never sent his Holy Spirit, if our ancestors in the faith hadn't lived faithful lives before us. We know what kind of darkness lurks within our souls and haunts our minds and tries to drag us down. And so we can imagine if there was no Holy Spirit, if there was no grace of God, if there was only His wrath that turns us over to the desires of our hearts, where would we be? Who would we be? And I think it's good every now and then to own that and recognize and feel the humility that comes from that. Remembering we're not special because we did this thing, because we uh, never messed up, because we're better than someone else. No. We all know the mess we would be in if not for the grace of God, and so we own that it's not about us. So does anyone here today need to own that, who they were, or who they would be if not for the grace of God? And another question. Does anyone here need to own that they can't save themselves or earn favor? You know, I, I think that it's one... If, I don't think there's anyone in here that would say, yes, I can be saved by being really good. I don't think those words would come out of our mouth, especially if you've been around church very much. And we can probably thank Martin Luther for that, who a long time ago said, no, time out. <laughs> we are saved by faith, not by works. There's no doing that's going to earn you favor with God. So let's just cut that nonsense out right now. Now, he said that several hundred years ago, and so today we know the Sunday school answers. But some of us still live like we earn our way into God's favor and into God's grace. And we kind of mix up the order of things. See, there is a role that our works play, but it matters very much where we place those. Do you place those as a means to earn God's favor and grace? Or as a result of them, of receiving them? Watch what Paul said in that very passage that we read today. He said, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now we just read before that, that works cannot save us. Right? It's by grace you've been saved, not by works. This is Paul in verse 9. This is Paul in verse 10, the very next sentence. You were created for good works. Well, hang on, Paul. What in the world are you talking about? Well, think about it. 
You weren't saved by works. You were saved for works. And there's a big difference there. If you have to dot all your I's and cross all your T's to earn favor from God, then you're going to live... It's just a whole different perspective, right? A whole different motivation. But if we receive God's grace and begin to step into the life that He meant for us to live in gratitude and thanks and worship to Him who saved us by His grace, that's a different thing. You weren't saved by works, but you were saved for works. So be careful of this in your life, that you don't get this mixed up. It creeps into our lives in some pretty subtle ways. And we begin to live as though we're saved by our works. Or for some of us, that might look like we live in constant doubt of our forgiveness. Or with a cloud of guilt hanging over our heads everywhere that we go. Because we believe that we still haven't measured up. That's a sign, friend. That even though you may say with your lips... I'm not saved by my works. You are still living as though you are. For others of us, that may look like an indignant anger at God. Or a frustration with His apparent lack of goodwill toward you or toward someone you believe deserves better. Deserves His favor. Because that reveals as well that we think it's our works that earn us grace, that earn us blessings, that earn us favor. And that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not the gospel of the one who suffered most and yet was most undeserving. What does this mean for us as a church? To live as though it's not about us. To operate as though it's not about us. What does that mean for us? That's a hard question. It's a hard one to sort out and to get the balance right. But it's one worth trying to figure out. So we've got to work at it. And I think it starts with me and I think it starts with you. That when we come together, or anywhere that we are, that we represent God's church, that we make sure that we're not making it about us. The way we like it, the way we want it to be, any of that. When we, when we come here together, there's got to be a, kind of a humility and, and a preferring of others that prevails amongst us. But there also needs to be somehow a spirit of humility. And I'm not sure how to tell you to make that happen. <laughs> I'm not sure that you can make that happen. But I know that a lot of people are scared to come to churches because they feel like here's a bunch of people who have it all together or think they have it all together and they wouldn't fit in in a place like that. Somehow we've got to somehow we've got to begin to fix that, to change that, 
Because it's not about us or our moral goodness. If we all remember who we'd be, if not for the grace of God, then we would never treat or look at a sinner as though we're better than them. But instead we would see exactly where we've been and we would have compassion. And we would be able to identify. So somehow we've got to change the culture a little bit and make it not about us. When we embrace this, it, I think it'll affect our budget. Where we're not spending things on, on things that we would like, right? Or things that we would prefer. I, I beat up on this one poor church where I served at, and I feel bad about it sometimes, but just it makes such a great illustration. This little church has closed its doors now, and you wonder why. It's because they had an inward focus in so many ways, and it was about them. And one example of that came at a business meeting that they had. The chairman came and said, you know, they, they would have like monthly socials. Sometimes we have a monthly thing for our, our birthdays and anniversaries, right? Uh, well, they would, they had a, a bit of a, at least the chairman had a bit of a, a fetish for um, sonic crushed ice. You know, the good stuff. And so they would stop by and buy bags of sonic ice. And they were tired of it. And so they thought, let's invest in an ice maker that makes sonic crushed ice. And of course, it was astronomical to get such an ice maker. And so they said, well, we'll buy a used one that was still, for this tiny little church, over $1,000. Which is... Anyway. <laughs> it, it was a big chunk of their budget that they invested in an ice maker that would make the kind of ice that they preferred, right? It wasn't good enough just to buy a regular old ice maker. <laughs> so that they didn't have to stop by Sonic. No, it had to be the kind that they liked best. And so they invest kingdom resources in a used ice maker to make their favorite kind of ice and then it broke down and they had to pay more money to repair it. And so the story goes on. This is just an example of how we can get our eyes off whatever would be right and good and off the others that are the priority, and off God who is the ultimate priority, and begin to make it about us. And we have to guard against that vigilantly. And, and to be careful that the things that we plan to do, and the things that we invest our time and energy in, are not just things that we would do for our own enjoyment. Christian concerts have their place. Christian movie nights have their place. All those things can serve to encourage us. Potluck dinners are yummy. And we enjoy fellowship together. And it's surely part of what we're supposed to do as the church is to sit down and share meals together. But we cannot just sit down and share meals together and forget that there's people who don't have enough food and children who are hungry. We can't just sit down and enjoy our music in our building and forget that there's people listening to filth out there that is tearing their lives apart. We can't just make it all about us because it's not about us. We haven't earned some sort of extraordinary favor that allows us just to punch our ticket 
and sit back and wait until the cruise ship pulls safely up to dock. That's not Jesus' vision for the church. And so that's why I believe the first thing we have to own is that we're ordinary people. We have to remember who we'd be if not for the grace of God. We have to make sure that we're not living as though our works can earn God's favor. We have to own that it's not about us. And if we find that hard sometimes, then we're in good company. I was thinking about uh, the Apostle Peter this week. We love Peter because he makes us feel better about being ordinary. <laughs> if, if even Peter was ordinary, then, then that's good news for us. And there was so much that Peter got right. And there was so much that Peter got wrong. And I'm sure that as the disciples went about the ministry and the church you know, was exploding, and of course it had problems, just like we still have problems today, but I bet there were times that the disciples sat around and looked at each other and thought, why us? Just an ordinary group of guys, no particular expertise or training, and this extraordinary God-man, Son of God, came and picked us for an extraordinary way and an extraordinary job. Why us? But there was at least once that Peter forgot. We're told the Apostle Paul kind of fills us in. That there was this time that he and Peter were hanging out and spending some time together in a Greek location. And, and so there were Gentiles there. And Peter was spending time with them just like he would with anyone else. And he was treating them as equals and with kindness just like he should. And then some of his buddies from Jerusalem showed up or some of those, uh, the Jews that were still having a hard time accepting Gentiles as equal in the kingdom. And suddenly Peter's behavior changed. And he began to act as if he was better than. And he wouldn't sit at their table anymore. It's the old cafeteria thing at school, right? <laughs> he went to the cool kid table at the cafeteria and sat down there. And Paul's looking at him like, what in the world? Come on, Peter. And so he had to call him out on it. And, and to his credit, he seems to have been like, okay, you're right. I blew it and to have made it right how many of us would be that humble sometimes I wonder about myself if I would be humble enough when Paul comes up to me and says, taps me on the shoulder hey what do you think you're doing I'd probably have a pretty quick comeback defense ready <laughs> but Peter seems to have said you're right if even Peter needed a reminder that he's ordinary people and that it's not about him, then surely we do from time to time as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us when we were still living as your enemies.
And we confess that our pride sometimes threatens to undermine even our churches and our Christian walk. Holy Spirit, create in us an attitude and a perspective that is all about you and others ahead of ourselves. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.